Welcome to the Wheelhouse Podcast. I'm joined by Andrew on the road to Fresno. Andrew, uh, I personally would love to see Tom Brady in the silver and black. How are you doing? For more than just one reason, obviously. Um, <laughs> when we, I, but, but yeah, there's, I mean, listen, I mean, Derek Carr wants it to happen too, based on what he said this week. I think he's pretty, pretty gun ho about that idea too. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, is it, is it Brady and Gronk or bust or are you just cool with Brady? I'm cool with just Brady. I'm cool with just Brady. I'll take a package okay. deal. I mean, I love to have Gronk in the house. Great clubhouse guy, but uh, we'll we'll get into that later, Andrew, because uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, we're catching up here. Oh, I think at- he just be there. Say again. I, was just, I think I think he'd just be there for the jacuzzi in the in the stadium, anyways. Oh, definitely, yeah. Or as Gronk would say, uh, "Por los chicas." So, (laughs) but anyway, uh, Andrew, we're coming off the uh, conference championships. Um, I had something come up on Monday, so we couldn't really catch up until now. But uh, we we had a very interesting conference championship weekend and a lot of news just kind of dropped right after that. So just why don't we just start with your reaction to the Eagles and the Chiefs now facing off in the Super Bowl? Well, I can't say I'm terribly surprised. I know both of us obviously went with the Bengals last week and promptly had our, our hearts ripped out by not only the team, but also the referees and a bunch of other nefarious characters. But, you know, Mahomes, Kel- Kelsey, all them. But, you know, I think it's, it's, I mean, it's two one seeds, so it's really hard to argue that that would be the, the matchup. But it is interesting. There's a lot of interesting things to consider with how the AFC kind of played out, you know, with the Bills and the Bengals being the other really top top teams, you thought there might be a, a chance, just a leeway of a chance that the Chiefs would make it here. And these guys just find a way to survive every year. Like, they just find a way, whether it's Spagnuolo's scheme, getting younger guys to kind of transition through and play better as the season goes on, whether it's Mahomes in the offense finding some sort of crafty way to move the ball around, no matter what it is. Some, the thing that always kills me, and we'll get into this a little bit later, there always just seems to be some special teams play that the other team in Arrowhead completely gaffs and messes up on. Like, this consistently happens with, you know, a team like the Cleveland Browns a couple of years ago. I remember a regular season game where they had, like, a, a block punt and, it like, turned the momentum of the game. The, the Bengals this past Sunday with their Sky Moore return that they allowed to happen in the waning seconds of the game and 30 yards. It's like the Chiefs are like, you know, a game-winning field goal. Or the Bills. The Bills obviously being the most famous example last year, you know, letting that that turn happen. I don't know what it is, but somehow, some way, that team just always manages to find a way to get some sort of special teams gap to happen from the other team, and they manage to squeak in again. Um, and then real quick, just the Eagles, I don't know. <laughs> That's really all I have to say about them. That team's good. Yeah, I mean, I hope I hope they grease the poles in Philly because it's going to be a wild couple of weeks here, and uh, we'll we'll get that we'll get into that matchup on another podcast here. This is a part one of a part two for me and Andrew. Uh, again, we've had uh, just some conflicts meeting up and potting, and Andrew's on the road today. But yeah, I think for me, 
we'll we'll talk about the zebras. So I'll leave that alone for now with Cincinnati and, and the Chiefs. But the Eagles 49ers one, I think would have would have been a really great slug match. It's just unfortunate. Brock Purdy hurts his UCL. He's out. In comes the backup that's barely been on the team. It was just a tough beat for the 49ers. And we'll talk about the extent of that uh, throughout the podcast here. But I, I felt very sorry for the 49ers team. And they're in a really, really weird place as a, as a fort, as an organization right now. Um, kind of feels like their window might be closing. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But Andrew, lots of big news this week. I don't know if it's just a lack of games or uh, just it just happened to turn out that uh, lots of news was, was just going to break after the conference championship. But let's just kind of slug through a couple of things here that we'll talk about on the pod. Uh, a year to the date later, Tom Brady retires again, seemingly for good this time. Uh, Kellen Moore, your boy, goes to the Chargers Dan Quinn stays in Dallas, gets $5 million to stay on as the defensive coordinator. Sean Payton finally gets traded to the Broncos for a third, well, himself and a third for a Broncos first and a second. You might remember the Broncos acquired a first from Miami, trading uh, Bradley Chubb earlier last year. D'Amico Ryans got hired by the Texans. Uh... We had some drama, or let's not call it drama. We have, unfortunately, uh, an awful situation with Josh Josh Shills, Sills, excuse me, who's a uh, basically kind of like a backup interior lineman or offensive lineman. Uh, we'll discuss that. Bobby Bethard, a, uh, a Hall of Fame executive, he passed away this week, and uh, we have some Derek Carr drama <laughs> that kind of unfolded yesterday. So. Let's start with Brady, and we'll go on down. Brady, finally, he retires, Andrew, after everybody wanted to know. Kind of surprised it happened this soon. Not surprised that he retired, ultimately. I did think he would play more, but uh, I'm more surprised that he made his decision this quickly. What do you think? Uh, in the words of the great Ron Burgundy, I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Really? Okay. I just, I don't know. Look, maybe there's a lot of mitigating factors here. Last year, I think he just felt miffed because he wasn't able to get his message out the way he wanted to. Yeah, he probably did want to. And I think the fact that Mr. Schefter did actually break out that news and ESPN kind of got their hands on it first and let it known to the world. I think that really did miff him. And I think he wanted to prove everybody wrong. What came after that, obviously, was the avalanche that was his family life. And. I mean, it clearly beat him up and it ate away at him all year long. That's a tough thing to come from. I, I think that's just – I don't think it's for the lack of physicalness. I mean, he's still in great shape. He still plays very well at his age. I mean, let's let's not kid ourselves. He's still hitting his spots well, all things considered. Obviously, the Tampa Bay, the team, was not very good this year and just kind of fell apart at the seams. I – I don't know. The, the report coming out, obviously, is that he either would come back to Tampa Bay or bust. I, I, I don't can't, believe that. I have a really hard I, I can't believe that for one minute. That yeah. just seems – that doesn't seem to sit well with me. I know there's, like, structural organization and, like, you know, all that and having chemistry with everybody and, and so on and so on. But, look, he went in there one his first year with a team. Like, I, I don't 
for me, like if he thinks that there's another organization that has the ability and the and the willingness to put in resources to win, like I mean, I know we'll talk about him in a little bit, but like the 49ers are like the premier example of that structural integrity already being there. I don't understand how that would really dissuade him from looking into their options. Um, maybe he just feels really overwhelmed by the whole family thing right now. I think a lot of people speculated that he took that video in Miami, even though he was at the 80 for Brady film premiere in LA. I think that film, that, that announcement uh, was in, was actually in Miami and obviously his children are down in Miami. So that is a part of the factor of being, you know, this whole father, father figure family life thing that he has to now take upon himself, especially as a divorced, you know, individual. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, and maybe it's just the residual effects of having him around forever, but something just deep inside me just doesn't allow me to, to accept the fact that this is like, that this is it. I don't know. Like, I just feel like the competitor in him is just too strong. Like, why would, like, I, I just feel like he would just want to go and do it again. And he knows damn well that he can. That's the scary thing. It's not because of his lack of physical ability. Yeah. I I actually believe it. I think he's done. I kind of didn't believe it last time because, like you said, it did not come out the way he wanted. And I think that was the problem. But it, it, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like almost like growing up, right? It's like you look back and you're like, man, I should have definitely done this differently and, and things would have gone better for me. He should have retired last year, right? He he should have retired last year and he would have gone out in a great moment, you know, that game against the Rams. You would, you would be like, man, he left a lot on the table. Like he could still play, you know, all that kind of stuff. Maybe he's... Maybe he's still not divorced of that after that. You know, I don't know. Who knows? But it all I from our guy Dan Patrick, it's almost like he had to go through this to be able to retire. That's kind of what it feels like. He had to go through all this like shit, divorce, bad team, losing record. Like he was not the problem on the Bucks. The team was just not good, you know, and he didn't have the support he really needs at this point. And uh, maybe this is what it needed to happen for him to be able to walk away. And, like, maybe he, you know, probably feels like he can still play. I, I don't doubt that at all. And, I mean, that's why I wanted him to be a Raider on a personal note. But is it really worth it anymore? And I think the answer is probably no. He should probably take a year away. I don't want to talk about the Fox contract. We can talk about that another day, you and me. Maybe an off-season podcast, but... Yeah, I, he needs to take some time away from this stuff, and I think he just kind of he needs a break. Uh, I even heard a report. I don't know if you heard this that he had lost quite a bit of weight. You could kind of tell too if you looked at his face. You kind of looked at him. Yeah. He oh, he yeah. he looked like he. This was a hard year for him. Uh, yeah, it was a hard year for him. So it it feels like he he's done for good. But would I love to see him come back and be a Raider? Absolutely. <laughs> so. Like, I mean, I obviously I wouldn't because now I have to worry about more in my division, which we'll get into later. Yeah. But, I, man, I have such a complicated relationship with this guy because I clearly, I mean, from a personal standpoint, I just do not like having him around. Like, he's annoyed the crap out of me. And yet, there's almost this just like, it's just kind of void that he's not there anymore. 
and I, I don't, I can't really explain it or put, pinpoint it, you know, let's, and let's, uh, let's, let's, let's dig into that a little bit and then we move on. So, okay. It's not a secret on this pod. You are a Brady hater. You hate Brady, but I, maybe you'll feel, maybe you, maybe you feel the same way I'll feel about LeBron. Like he, let's say he is gone. Like he is really, really gone. He is not coming back. I mean, how does that make you feel? Are you happy that he's gone? Do you kind of have some, like, nostalgia for him now? Is there, like, a – you can finally respect him? Like, what is that feeling? I think the feeling is I never had the personal satisfaction of beating that guy. Like, yeah. I never had the chance to beat Brady. We never – my Chargers never beat him. He owned that team. And I think that's part of it is that there was never that moment of, like, aha, we got you. So there's part of that. The other part of it, I guess, is just, I mean, he's been so integral to the game. I mean, he's, I, I mean, he's been an integral part of my entire childhood and my, like, maturation of, like, loving football. Like, he is interwoven in that fabric, and there's yeah. no denying it. He abs absolutely none. Like, he is, he is all parts of it, you know, love, hate, you know, respect, all of it. He is, he is interwoven in that. And it's hard to, it's hard to disassociate from that. It really is. And I think that speaks to the volumes of how much, he has mattered to people just by being so, so damn competitive. And I think LeBron's going to have the same thing. People can say all they want about him. I think even people who have a great disdain for him are going to say this, are going to have the same realization when he's gone, you know, like he's, he's just, he's part of basketball history and you can't deny that in any way, shape or form. And he's part of your, your maturation process of watching the game. You know, it's the same thing with Brady. Hey, don't discount Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless will still shit oh, on LeBron. Of course he will. Well, that's his. That's <laughs> yeah, that's his calling. That's his calling card. But like you know, it's gonna be like I, I don't know. He's gonna have to come to terms with some things when he's when that dude's gone. Yeah, he needs a lot of therapy. A lot of therapy. But yeah, I, it is weird. Like, and I don't think younger people will feel the way. I don't know if you feel this way. You know, Brady was drafted in 2000. I moved to two in you. I moved to the United States in 2000. You know, he took over quarterback of the Patriots after 9/11. Like, you know, right after 9/11. You know, that's it. And, and that year, like the Patriots were like this team that everyone rallied around because they won the Super Bowl. They were this underdog, and and all that. So there's kind of that relationship with him too. Because and I don't know about you, but for me, 9-11 is definitely this like uh, lost the innocence moment for me in my life. But then there's this flip side when I was in Vermont and we played them in the divisional round and we got robbed of that stupid tuck call. And, you know, sliding doors, if they don't call that, I don't know what happens to Brady. Maybe he still has success in New England. Maybe he still gets to keep the job. Uh, look, I don't know if the Raiders win the Super Bowl that year. But we went to the Super Bowl the following year, okay? So it wasn't like it was a bad team. So there's all of that kind of baggage with him. And and maybe it's just such it was such a horrible moment. And then the next year we'll lose the Super Bowl. Maybe I've just put that baggage away. <laughs> and I just don't want to hit that scab too much. So I certainly have a complicated relationship with him. But he's won so much and he's been around so long, it's kind of hard to see him go i guess so that's kind of where i stand but let, let's move on to some other things andrew so last time we spoke we were expecting kellen moore 
to probably get a head coaching job or stay with the Cowboys and Dan Quinn to leave the Cowboys for head coaching job. Well, that didn't happen, Andrew. Kellen Moore is a charger now. He's the offensive coordinator. Uh, and the Cowboys somehow keep Dan Quinn, who did not want to accept any of the jobs. He's getting five mil now. And McCarthy's calling the plays. So what's your reaction to all of that? Uh, I'd just like to say thank you, Dallas. I appreciate it. Um, okay. I, 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 I have been – listen, I didn't really make it a point earlier, and I know we gave him grief during the divisional round, but I have been a Kellen Moore stand for quite some time, actually, um, ever since he was at Boise State. And I've always been a really a big fan of his uh, – uh, basically his ability to attack defenses – now, I know there's some questions as far as his, like, management of games. And I really wonder, though, like, I'm starting to wonder, we'll see this with how this goes with the hiring process and where, how he factors into this Dallas operation. How much of it, you know, was it him having to, you know, placate to Mike McCarthy's West Coast offensive style? How much of it was Dak's physical limitations? How much was it of, and I'm, not, and I'm dead serious when I say it, of, like, Jerry Jones – you know, being a shadowy figure in the background, I've yeah. always been a proponent of that. I, you know, you can, you can argue that both ways, but he's the new uh, Al Davis. He, he, he is really, the new Al Davis. I, as I read somebody the other day, they said, great owner, terrible GM. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways, but, um, but look, Kellen, you know, we'll see. I, I mean, he clearly has a very physically, you know, talented and gifted, uh, mm. Herculean, figure to work with now with Justin Herbert. The thing for him, honestly, and I think this is going to happen with the team, is the offensive personnel is going to have to change because I think it's limited in how it's utilizing Herbert's skill set. So first they need to change the offensive personnel. That's the first thing. But secondly, I mean, look, it it is kind of like this could go one of both ways. You're either going to have like mind-meltingly aggravating management styles butting heads against each other, which is him and Staley, or this guy could put up, you know, 30, 40 points a game because I think his, his acumen for play designing is fine. I actually think it's very good. And I like it a lot. That's why I really like him. It's just a matter of, you know, cause is he going to run the air Coriel style with Herbert, which by God, if you had Herbert in 1980, instead of Fouts with that offense, good night, you are not catching any of those records. Like he would absolutely obliterate, passing records if he was in night playing in 1980 with that style of offense. So I do think this is a great fit for, for Herbert. It's just a matter of like, are they going to be able to do things like, you know, run the ball when they need to, which they absolutely could not last year, which was a very aggravating part of the offense. So there needs to be a lot of changes, but I think this is the right move. It's a, it's, it's better than Joe Lombardi. It is better than Joe Lombardi. And I think that's the ultimate point to make here. Yeah. I'll say this. I definitely feel like the offense he was trying to force in Dallas was over Dak skis. And what I mean by that is it was asking him to do more than his ability actually allows. And and you and I caught on to this quick too. They should have just managed Dak the way they managed. um, uh, What was the name of the backup in Dallas? Shoot. Uh, Cooper rush. They kind of should have just managed a game like that. It, you know, so, now you have a quarterback that can do everything. So you can't hide behind that excuse anymore. And yeah. now when it comes to game management, I think here's one thing I learned from this season. Mike McCarthy's a bit better game manager than we thought. That's what I think. 
Now he will not have that in San Diego. You and I both have had. I let's let's just say to be kind, been very we 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 have been skeptical of Staley's management in general. We've been skeptical, so that'll be interesting to see if Staley can step in and then and kind of like say, hey, Kellen, dial it down a little bit, you know, let's run the ball, that kind of thing. It'll be interesting to see that dynamic. But as far as, you know, Herbert can execute this offense, no problem. That That's definitely not going to be the issue. So it'll be very interesting to see to see that. Um, I'm a bit surprised that uh, Dan Quinn is remaining behind in Dallas, but I think I think the uh, the Cowboys kind of lucked out because it seemed like to both you and me they were going to be out these two coordinators and they were going to be screwed. No, I think I think Quinn coming back is fantastic. Michael Parsons is obviously thinking his lucky stars that yep. he's back with them. I think that's fantastic for their defense as long as they continue to kind of build on that defense. Um, yeah, I mean, look. I'm fine with McCarthy being the play caller. I think if it's going to bring in the reins a little bit, if they're finally going to, you know, be able to manage games like they did with Cooper rush, I think they're going to be fine. I just, it's a matter of understanding the limitations that you have with a guy like Dak and Dak's, you know, I said, I like Dak. I like Dak as a quarterback. I like him as, as, as a playmaker. I just think, you know, there are certain things he just is not able to do, which again, maybe got carried away with in this Dallas offense. Because, you know, he just, there's not a way to implement that consistently. So yeah, that's, it's kind of, I, I feel like, I feel like the Cowboys and the Chargers have the opposite problems. The Cowboys have the personnel on the, on the offense outside of Dak. The Chargers don't have the personnel outside of Herbert. Like they need, <laughs> they yeah. need receivers that run faster than four or five and they need a power back if they're going to run the ball. So it's kind of like two opposites of the problem basically. Yeah. 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 I, I think you hit it right in the head. Uh, no. Yeah. Hit the uh, nail on the head there. Let's let's move on to another couple of coaches here. Sean Payton goes to Denver. Um, I I think this is a gamble by Sean Payton, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't I, I, I'm not sold that Russell Wilson is going to somehow his career is going to be revived. I don't think he's going to be as bad as he was last year because I think Nathaniel Hackett was a hack, you know, and I'm not just saying that because his last name is Hackett. He was. He, he, you're, you're, saying, you're saying you can't hack it? Yeah, I'm saying he can't hack it, and I'm shocked he passed the job interview, to be honest with you. So I, I, I don't understand why he just wouldn't have waited or try to go for Jacksonville last year. I, I don't understand it. What do you make of this move? Uh, I mean, is it the coach that they need? Yes. Do they have the personnel to do what they want to? I debate that. And I debate it. it. Yep. And that's the th- and that's the thing. Like you and I both have been on this train for probably the last three years about the Broncos. We've been told over, you know, over and over, and over how 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 you know how talented the roster is, how much personnel they have. Sure, I guess it's fine, but like I, I'm not so sure. Like their offensive line is up to snuff. I like their receivers. I don't love them. Their running back situation is fluid. I love Javonta Williams, but he can't. You know, he tore his ACL, and Melvin Gordon obviously just turned into a ghost. You couldn't do anything with that. I, I worry about some of that, and also on defense. I mean, 
I, their defense obviously was fantastic last year. They were uh, they were way 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 overperforming in compensation for what the offense did. Can they do it again? You know, that's the thing. Can they repeat that performance? It, it's hard to ask for that again. I. I, I just I, I'm like okay if if Peyton brings that out of them great then fine all those people all those pundits were correct but I I have my doubts and that's why I'm I'm worried about him and also like they gave up draft assets to get him man and they don't have a pick this year because they basically threw it away for Russell and now the Seahawks have a top five pick like that's an incredible asset that you gave up for that purpose that backfired in the first year and so. How are you going to build on this roster going forward? Like, that's the thing. If it's not going to be up to stuff, then what happens the next two years? It feels like here's why I think he took the job. I think the ownership basically said, you report to me. Like, like the GM is probably going to really be under Sean Payton, right? Kind of like it was in New Orleans. Uh, Sean Payton's going to be the personnel guy. He's He's really the man in charge. In Denver. But like you said, it does feel like this is going to be a couple years cleanup. Uh, it's going to take a couple years for them to truly, really be competitive. And and, and I and I tell you this, it's not going to be with Russell Wilson. I, I don't buy it. You know, that's one of the worst trades and contracts in my time watching football. Like, it's awful. I mean, maybe... I will say maybe the worst one is the Deshaun Watson one. That's the worst I've ever seen because he looked worse than Jacoby Brissett and all his money's guaranteed. Oh, and also, you know, he sexually assaulted, you know, allegedly 20 plus women. So there's that. Um, so tough beat there. But it this feels like this is a long term thing. And he will outlast Russell Wilson, by the way. You know, he will. So. We'll see, but it, also the other reason why I don't love it is that's a hell of a division to pick. You still have the Chiefs who own the division since Mahomes took the reins. You have this Chargers team that is competitive with the Chiefs every year, and they made their first playoff appearance. I know they lost, and we've we've hammered that to death, but you know they've made the playoffs. They have a better OC now. Uh, the Raiders. I mean, they had a they had a bad season, but I expect them to get better. Uh, I, I, I this is a very difficult uh, division to get into, so I don't know. I hope I hope that Denver's patient because it's not going to happen next year or the following. I can tell you that. Yeah, no, it's a tough spot, and I don't think it's an easy fix as much as people are, you know, purporting it to be. I, I think there's a lot that has to be changed. If this is going, if, that if this is going to go well, and it, it's it's just wild to think. I mean, I really think I I still think that the Broncos were trying to get Aaron Rodgers everything under their under the sun to get Aaron Rodgers last year, and I don't think the the Packers are ready yet because I think that Jordan Love wasn't ready yet. I think they're ready now, but you know it's kind of one year too late. We'll see what happens with that end, but. The Jets are trying. <laughs> currently, the New York Jets are trying to pull the exact same move on the other end, on the other end of the country. So, yeah. All right. So, last thing before we go to the awards, Andrew, because we're a little little stressed for time here. D'Amico Ryan, he was introduced as the uh, Texans head coach today. He's the former defensive coordinator for the 49ers. Uh, he actually played 
with the Texans as a linebacker back in the day. Uh, this is the third head coach that Nick Cesario, who's the GM in Houston, has hired, but definitely will not be the first one and done head coach that he has hired since the last two were one and dones. What do you make of this hire? What do you think is ahead of him? Um, you know, he's been the defensive coordinator for a short period of time and, and jumps up to head coach. Uh, what do you think of the hire? What do you think is ahead of him? Well, hiring three head coaches in the span of three years is absolutely insane from a structural standpoint. I know Casario is kind of playing with a, a hand tied behind his back. Obviously, yeah. it's not, not, <laughs> not enviable. But look, this is absolutely the right move. And it's kind of like the Dan Campbell effects where you have a guy that you're bringing in saying, okay, you are building the program from ground up. You know, this is, we're, we're starting over we're, this is, this is ground zero. And that absolutely needs to be the case because the Texans roster is a dearth of talent. There's nothing there. And the Lions were the same case. Now I think it's actually going to take them longer to get this, all this together. I know they have draft draft assets, I think the thing about the Lions and why they were able to really come on hard this year is that one, I think it permeated to the personality of Dan Campbell. And two, I, I think they're actually legit talented. Like they have a lot of great talent on offense and defense. And I think that they were uh, able to accumulate that impressively uh, fairly quickly. I think for the Texans, it's just a matter of, you know, sort of being able to pick that talent. And I think for D'Amico's scheme, it's going to take a while, especially defensively, just to get that. Never mind the offense, which really doesn't have a quarterback right now or any playmakers outside of, you know, Brandon Cooks. I, and, you know, I, I, I like I like Damian Pierce, too. He's cool. I don't know how he's going to factor into the long-term plans, but I I just – I it's it, it just feels like a longer process, but they absolutely have no choice. Like, you you detonated this entire organization after the whole Watson debacle. It, you, you went nuclear, and you should have gone nuclear – with the coaching staff earlier, but uh, this is, this is the right move. I'm happy for D'Amico. He knows the area. He knows the culture for the most part. And I think he's going to be able to work his connections in Houston to be able to figure something out, but it's, it's a long road and be prepared for that. I mean, this, we're not going to, this team may not get over 500 until, I don't know, three, four years down the road. Wow. That's a, that's a lot of patience to have with a new coach. So, what what do you what do you think about this? My, I I hear what you're saying about the Dan Campbell thing, and like you have a a leadership guy, a personality guy, uh, a guy that's got charisma, and people will follow. I I think one issue that's different here is that in Detroit, it seemed that they had more alignment. Dan Campbell and the and the GM aligned on a lot of different values from, you know, where they came from in the league. You have yeah. Nick Cesario and D'Amico Ryans. I think they could, couldn't could be more opposite. You know, one's from New England, and you have that style of offense and that style of defense, and then you have D'Amico that's been in that San Francisco defense, totally opposite kind of offense. And defensively, you know, they're they're kind of like one, one kind of scheme, you know. It's more based on the talent versus, like in New England, they show you a lot of different looks or whatever. So what do you what do you make of that marriage and what what's going to need to happen in order to make this work? Someone's going to have to give up leeway. Now, I don't know if Exterio has the authority and his personality to be able to implement that. I I haven't really seen it from the last two coaching staffs because quite frankly they weren't around long enough for me to figure that out. So, it was it's kind of hard to read, 
in that way. Um, so I, I think for D'Amico, it's just a matter of can he be is he able to get his foot in the door and be able to, you know, make his case for why this is the way that they need to go about it. Can he bring over his ideas with the 49ers culture? I mean, look, they're two very sound, very structurally sound cultures that they both come from. That's that's kind of I the issue that you're alluding to, and it's just because they're two different things, but they both worked. So, and I don't think you can go, you can't go halfway in between. You have to pick one or the other, in my opinion. I, so, I yeah, they need a shared vision, whatever yeah. that is. They need a shared vision. So if they have one shared vision, one direction together then, you know, there's potential for it to work out. Let's move on to the awards, Andrew, and let's start with Joe Harris. You know, there's only four teams playing last weekend, so it's kind of tough uh, choosing. But, uh, you know, Hassan Reddick's name kept coming up after the game. Uh, Eagles linebacker, he had two sacks, three pressures, a forced fumble, and a recovered fumble. Uh, you know, this guy was everywhere for the Eagles. He had a big, big day. Well, he was a pro bar last year. The matter of the fact was that he was going to get paid after last season with the Cardinals. Like that was just going to happen. So now whether he could replicate it, that was the question coming into the season. He's been absolutely fantastic. (laughs) He's been amazing on this defensive line. He is just bullying people left and right. I, I, I mean, he, he, he basically broke Brock, Brock Purdy, unfortunately, and he will, I, I will get into it a little bit later, but I mean, Mahomes is going to have his hands full with this guy chasing him around. And that whole defensive line is just sick. I would, I, I would, I would just give the game ball to all of them basically for the last week because they were insane and same thing in the Giants game too. They, they are to me, they are the top, top group in this entire roster. There's a lot of talent on this roster, but they are by far the, the most premier of the group. Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't know the name now, you certainly do now. Hassan Reddick, big, big player for the Eagles on Sunday. Uh, Mike Lennon Award, not a lot of good candidates, but uh, when Josh Johnson was forced into service in San Francisco, this is a guy that's been on, what, 13 teams now at this point? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's almost his award at this point. So Josh Johnson making an appearance, I think, yet again for us, Andrew. Yeah, no, again, he was the second time around, I believe he's been with the San Francisco 49ers. He's been in the UFL. He's been in the, a- well, he was, technically he was in the AAF, but he didn't play for the San Diego fleet. He, and then he played in the, X- he played extensively in the XFL a few years ago, and he was actually pretty good for the Wildcats. But, uh, yeah, San Diego native, born and raised, still getting his way around the, the league, just being able to bounce from team to team. I knew he was on the practice squad. I wasn't sure if he, I was not aware if he was activated or not, but clearly he was. Um, also, poor guy got knocked out of the game too. So, right. but I, 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 like I said it because I think I saw some person earlier in the day go, I didn't think I'd be waking up this morning because, by the way, he's a 49ers fan. He goes, I don't think I would be waking up this morning wishing that Josh Rosen was still on the practice squad, but here we are. <laughs> uh, oh. I, I, I personally, I, I, I appreciate the humor, but I personally believe I don't care who was under center for the 49ers on Sunday. They were going to get the absolute daylights beaten out of them by this defensive line. But, yeah, yeah. Good, you know, Sorry to hear Josh got hurt. I don't know if he's going to have another chance in the league after this. He might have to float around spring football for a while. But, you know, he's he's like a cockroach, man. He's he's found a way to survive all this time. Uh, I think whether it's in the NFL or some other uh, semi-pro league, I think he'll have a job somewhere. So 
Uh, Josh Johnson, Mike Lennon Award winner. Uh, Bowl Strategy Cotton Award. Andrew, I, you know, let me know if you disagree. I don't think anyone gets it this week. I don't think any team had really any outstanding plan. Uh, some of these teams, they just kind of outlasted the other team. There's so many injuries mounting up uh, for, for everybody. At, at certain points, it was just, you know, could you just hang on? Or, you know, the other team lost their quarterback. Uh, I didn't really see any particularly great game plan. What about you? Um, I'd say the first half of the Chiefs was pretty good. It kind of, you know, melted away a little bit in the second half. Yeah. I mean, defensively, they got after Burrow. They they hassled him. They were so good at, at getting to the gap pressure and just getting after him. I know, you know, I know their offensive line's hurt and they haven't had a lot of going on, but they found ways to play around into Buffalo. And, and yes, I know Buffalo's front is not as strong, but I think they did a really great job with what they were given in, in in that game. And then offensively, they moved the ball pretty well. I mean, they didn't punt, I believe, until the second half. So the first half of the Chiefs, I would have given it to. But the overall, yeah, for both overall games, it was tough to really pick a team. Um, you know, the Eagles, I mean, the Eagles just wore down. They just basically physically wore down the other team because their offense didn't really do much. But they found a way to just, just kind of, you know, basically turn them into fine dust by the end of it. Yeah, uh, I think it was a good script of plays in the first half of the Chiefs, so I agree with you there. Andrew, let, let's get into the meat of, of this section here. Cowboy Joe West and uh, our good friend Jim Nance, as Jim Nance would say, Gene, sort this out. So, this Andrew. Is the, this is the Montezuma special of, oh. of this year, I swear. It oh. is. It, it's it's tough, and, and I'll share a text with you uh, from my dad. I asked him, you know, fast five or ten years, it feels like refing has gotten worse. Has it always been this bad? And he said, oh, yeah. Like, even when Montana was playing 70s and 80s, he goes, yes, sir, it's always been bad. And the main problem, and, of course, I think you'll agree with this, these refs are not full-time. And that's that's the crux of the problem, I think, Andrew. No, they need to be trained, and they need to have full academic training throughout the year, and they need to be fully employed and be able to study the rule book. Because, I mean, this is just untenable. Uh, some of the calls they've had in this entire this entire yeah. season. So, like Gene's territory, Andrew, let me sort this out for you. So, the award this week goes to Ron Tobert and the All Star crew, who. By the way, this all-star crew thing is also stupid. These guys haven't worked with each other. Or, you know, ladies and gentlemen haven't worked with each other. They're all from different, you know, crews. They're just all-star crews in the playoffs. So let's get to the main one. It's a third and nine play that's blown dead in the fourth quarter following a clock malfunction after a second down in, uh, incompletion. So no one hears the, the whistle stop, Andrew, uh, from the referee. So the referee waved off the play and gave the Chiefs a redo. Now the following play... A sack of Mahomes was wiped out by a holding call on Cincinnati. Uh, it actually was later reported. I don't know if you saw this report by a Pro Football Focus that Ron Tobert was actually at fault for the for this, not the uh, not the clock operator. Uh, Tobert actually said, "You can go back and look at the play. Uh, the play clock and game clock will start on my signal, and the and the clock operator starts. So he just wasn't really ready for it." Uh, and then you have, you know, we, you and I have talked a lot about this really untimely ticky tacky PI calls. And there was one on Mike Hilton, uh, corner from the Bengals. And that kind of kept the chiefs alive, uh, on that particular drive. It, it's just, you know, 
you can't have guys that are actually part-time employees making bad calls that affect billions of dollars. It's just, I don't know why the league can't fix this. It seems like an easy fix. My biggest thing before I get into this, these specific agree, um, uh, grievances, why was it so inconsistent from round to round with the referee? I know. Like, it was like, okay, take week one, or not week one, but the first, the wild card round. You know, they're letting the Chargers basically ball the, the receivers on, on defense on on Jacksonville, and they were letting them play. And I I had no problem with it, of course, because that meant that they had four picks in the first half against Trevor Lawrence. But then it kind of went away after that. And also they had the, the not, I don't know if you call it sky judge, but they had the, the automatic booth reviewing going on in the first couple rounds, and they were able to get reviews in pretty yeah. efficiently. And I don't remember seeing that much this past weekend. Like, it was like that feature where it's like, oh, they're going to bust out the Ferrari for one week to show you that they have it and then put it away in the garage. Like, why don't we use this all the time? And I, I don't know, man. I think, but like with the Ron Tolbert crew, I mean, look, the, the side judge coming in and not being able to get the play done, like, forget it. At that point, like, just move on. Just say, look, play happened, whatever. We're moving on. This isn't right. happening. This is eerily reminiscent to what I was saying about, well, it's not the exact same, but remember that example I had with the, the Pac-12 a few months ago. When oh they, yeah, the miss, yeah, yeah. The miss down. Yeah, it's almost eerily reminiscent of it. So it's like you can't replay that. Like it's happened. Yeah. Like, you can't, can't go backwards. And yet it, it felt very Pac-12-esque in the way that it was officiated. It's which is just a damn shame, honestly, that that is the case. I, I don't know. This. Yeah. It was just so frustrating. I'm not gonna look. I'm not gonna say that the Bengals lost because of refereeing, but. Man, they, there's some there's some tough calls made, especially in that fourth quarter, that certainly didn't help. At the end of the day, I don't think the Bengals lost because of the refereeing, but the fact that we're even thinking about that that that's not that's that's not what you want. It's yeah, that should never be the case. And the fact that you have all these memes afterwards, the memes are still coming, and you had like the fixes in memes and all this stuff, like. You know, the fact that it's even a topic of conversation, it's a bad look for the league, and it's one of the biggest problems. It might be the number one problem I really have with the like with the game itself overall, uh, you know, within the game, not outside of the game. Now, it's, I think still would be concussions and things like that, domestic violence, but, you know, inside the game, just the game strictly itself, refereeing, it's the biggest problem, Andrew, and I, I think we'll spend an episode on that in the future and, and kind of rehash this. Uh, let's uh, let's do a quick hurry up and, and wrap up together. Anthony Lynn Express Award, you talked about it earlier, Andrew. Just poor putting strategy and time management by the Bengals. I really think that this is actually what lost them the game. You know, they just, that punt to Sky Moore was awful. Uh, you know, the Kansas City punter, you know, he did everything right. You know, he got them pinned in deep or he made them touch back. He didn't really let them get the, you know, get to run, you know, touch the ball much, you know, and, and then just the timeout management by Zach Taylor just wasn't great. Um, and, and I think that's really what lost them the game ultimately. No, that, that Sky Moore return was inexcusable, especially who he has been struggling this entire season. Right. To return. And, but look, the fact of the matter is they gave him like 20 yards to run with. Like that's like in that situation. Why in the world are you giving any leverage to this offense to be able to get in the field goal range, which you're going to let, I mean, again, did they not watch the Bills Chiefs game from last year? Right. Like, it's it's. I know it's a, it's a punt versus a kickoff, but like, 
you can't let any sort of momentum happen on special teams. It's like these teams just absolutely forget how to play special teams in Arrowhead. It's baffling. And it happens so often. Like, that's one of the biggest home... It really is a, almost a home field advantage for the Chiefs because it's like these teams just melt down on their special teams unit. Either, you know, their place kicker misses a kick or they, you know, botch the, the kickoff or the punt coverage. It's like they just don't seem to figure out what they need to do against this team because they don't understand... What happens when you give any sort of leeway, leverage, or momentum to Patrick Mahomes, of all people? It's like they just completely forget that. I don't know. Yeah, it's a baffling move by by Taylor and company. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, let's go to our, our favorite guy who will never be replaced, Andrew, because guess what? Jeff Fisher isn't going fucking 8-8 eight eight again. He's going 7-9. and nine. Jeff Fisher, the football guy. Uh, Andrew, uh, a, minute six, a minute 36 left. In the first half of the Eagles 49ers game. Okay, 49ers get the ball back. You got your literally your fourth string quarterback, Josh Johnson, in there. Okay. And he he takes a snap. He fumbles. Rather than just letting it, you know, go into halftime, 14 to 7. Now the 49ers are down 21-7. And there was really no hope after that. I, I just don't understand it. You're you're only down 14 to 7. Go into halftime, regroup yourselves. Make a plan, and, and I I just didn't like that management there by uh, by Shanahan. I just thought it was a very Jeff Fisher thing to do. Yeah, he had his t- hands tied behind his back in the second half, but he could have made it less worse if they had just basically taken a knee or been able to just kind of you know not not force the issue there at that point. You need to regroup, but with Purdy out, you just need to find a way to regroup with Josh Johnson and be able to adjust your game plan. But it's it wasn't meant to be. I mean. I almost started saying in the second half they should start running the triple option. Yeah. They did run that pass with McCaffrey, which was hilarious. But I I think, you know, they just didn't script enough, obviously, emergency plays or, you know, trick plays to be able to account for what was going to happen. So, um, yeah, just unfortunate circumstances. But that you're right. That could have absolutely been avoided and not made it what was already a bad situation worse. And also, shout out to Jeff Fisher for moving on to the USFL. Uh, <laughs> he's also not in that league anymore, so we'll see where that, where where the award, the originator of the award goes to next. Yeah, the legend. We'll see. We'll see what greener pastures Jeff is off to. Last yeah. but certainly not least, Andrew. Let's wrap this thing up with toughest beat of the week, and we'll stay with the 49ers, Unfortunately. Um, just the organization in general right now, I think, is having the toughest beat. Brock Purdy, your, your boy, you kind of like, you know, yeah, miracle ticket. He's out likely, you know, it, it, I'm hearing a full year with this UCL injury, which is awful. You have Trey Lance, and, and I'll, I'll stay on my, you know, hill and die on it. I think he's a bust. I know a lot of people don't, but I think he's a bust. And then... You have Tom Brady retires, so you're not going to get Tom Brady most likely. And then, I don't know if you saw, on the same day, Kyle Shanahan said in a press conference, he didn't see, quote, any scenario where Jimmy G would come back to the team. So who are you getting at quarterback? Your window is closing very fast, Andrew. This is an older team now. You know, Debo Samuel hasn't really played a full season in a long time. Kittle's in his 30s. Uh, you know, Trent Williams, he's in his thirties. You got a lot of guys at a, at an older age here. It feels like this window is closed very quickly. 
or closing very quickly. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I was under the impression that Kittle was still like 27 or 28, but maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I I think that it's just a tragic situation. It's a Shakespearean tragedy for this team with how the quarterback situation is gone. It's like it's like you can't have one or the other. It's like you either have a great quarterback that you have to pay a bunch of money to devote the cap to, and not have a team you know not have a team around him, or you have everybody else except the quarterback. Like yeah. and the 49ers absolutely at this point probably should have had a title yeah. if they just had somebody, anybody that was competent. And look, Jimmy G's fine. He's average, but like just, you know, somebody who can execute the offense, like anybody, even like, I don't know, Matt Ryan or, you know, I don't know, somebody in the 11, 12 range, Kirk Cousins, Dak, some, just anybody to be able to take the race and run this offense. And it just hasn't happened. And it's a damn shame that it's this, this, I mean, this, this injury, which is basically a almost required Tommy John surgery is so unfortunate for Purdy because he was playing so well and yeah, it, it took one hit to just completely change the trajectory of next season. So I don't know. They, they got, there's gotta be something they can do in the offseason. They're obviously they're I mean, they're, they're tapping every, every possible option right now, but I, I don't know what the answer is right now. Yeah. They're in a very, very odd position. It's really unfortunate because it really felt like they had a solution with Purdy. Cheap deal, rookie. He's probably making, you know, the minimum because he was literally the last pick of the draft. Um, very unfortunate. And it kind of felt like, you know, he'd earned the job, right? Like this was his job now. Yeah. Um, it's it's really unfortunate. I think we're, we're going to break them down, I think, a little bit in the offseason once we have a Super Bowl winner and all that. But uh, – Andrew, this was definitely a very fun part one. And uh, for part two, just so everybody knows, we will break down the Super Bowl for you. We will go very in-depth like we normally can't do, uh, really break down this matchup. And, of course, we're going to give you our our lines over under and uh, some fun Super Bowl props, just like we did last year. So I hope everyone looks forward to that. And, Andrew, safe travels to Fresno, and I'll catch up with you next week, man. Thank you, man. I always right. appreciate it. Thanks, buddy.